It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charges against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. Hey, he saved, they scoffed. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land till three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Elohi, Elohi, lama shabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran with a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed so he could drink. Wait, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. And that's where the story ends, or at least that's where it's always ended before. We're here because we believe this story actually had a different ending, but let's not go there yet. It's not fair. It's not fair to the story. It's not fair to the emotions of the people that were there at the time. They have just laid Jesus's body on a shelf. They've walked away. We shudder at this story. We shudder at the evil of human hearts that were able to look at Jesus 
and do such awful things to him. They condemned him and beat him and nailed him to the cross as if he was the lowest form of criminal. Even the famous atheist Douglas Adams once wrote about living 2,000 years after one man was nailed to a tree for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change. When we look at the crucifixion, there, there are not a lot of good places to put our eyes. Now, parents, your children are here today, and we're glad they are, and we're not going to scare them. We're not going to do an R-rated reconstruction of all this story. There aren't Bible classes or children's church for them today because we want them to be a part of the story. But we have to start with the realization there aren't a lot of good places to look. When you look up at the cross, that's painful. When you look at the people, that's painful. But you could look at the foot of the cross, the faithfulness and courage of the women who did not desert Jesus. You can also take a look at the couple of men that didn't desert him. Uh, there is John. There's also Joseph of Arimathea. There's courage there. But no matter how you look at it, the, the, the story ends with a body, cold, wrapped in cloths and herbs and spices, and laid on a cold shelf in a cave. We're left cold, dark, with a huge sense of emptiness, and we're left with death. And that's, death is the absolute in our lives. It's the absolute in our stories. People will say the only th two things sure are death and taxes, but I think some people don't pay taxes, so it's just really death. And then you've got, um, we, we've, we're aware of, of death, and those of us that are wise and think about these sort of things and can get insurance, and we write wills because we realize it is coming. The Bible talks about it quite a bit. It says it's given to everybody wants to die. It's an absolute. We're even told why. Paul says that the wages of sin is death, and everybody is sinned, so everybody dies. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. It's absolute. I even knew that as a boy. I can remember I was only probably six years old whenever I was talking to somebody else that was about six years old, a little girl that we played with, and she said, well, I don't go to church. And I said, well, you, yeah, you better. Um, <laughs> you, you best get on that quickly. And she, and she said, well, I don't need to. And I said, well, yeah, you do, because you need Jesus to save you from your sins. And she said, I've never sinned. And I said, oh, you, you just did. Uh, that... That was a lie. And she goes, no, I've never lied. And I go, oh, you did it again. Uh, this is Thursday. We, it's, it's a long time to Sunday. Save up. Uh, this, is, this is not good. We end up with a story, and we know there's an absolute, and we're going, there's not much wiggle room here. We've all sinned. Death is there. Every person before Jesus died and stayed dead, except for a few exceptions. It came back alive for a little while, then went back dead again. And there is, to be fair, Enoch and Elijah, that it seems like they never died. They just kind of took the express right to heaven. That's fair enough. But that, the odds are pretty good that one out of one dies. It's an easy statistic to remember. But it's not a happy one. There are absolutes. And we have to deal with the absolute of death. Except that we don't. I know, I just set it all up, didn't I? And now I have to say, we, because a new age has come. A new, a new thing just happened with Jesus. You see, here's the thing. I came from the world of science um, and still there. Um, 
the, uh, the thing about any story is it has an exception. It does. We, we say once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. And others will say once upon a time, there was nothing and then it blew up. You have two exceptions there because all of us agree something can't come from nothing. All of us agree that order can't come from disorder. One of us says it started with an intelligence, with a thought. Another one said, well, we don't really know what it started with, but it was exceptional. There's an exception in the universe. And Jesus is that exception. A new age is coming to the women at the foot of the cross, to the men who wielded the whips and the hammers and the nails. That new age is coming for them too, and it's good news for them. Think about this for a minute. This good news story is not just good news for the happy, good, sweet, shiny people that love Jesus. It's good news for the guys whose knuckles are still raw from beating Jesus. It's good news for every because God is about to break into the world and change everything. All of a sudden, we're not going to be tribes anymore. We're going to be brothers and sisters, regardless of color, regardless of politics, regardless of nation. Everything's going to change. Take a moment and place yourselves in the minds and hearts of the people that were having to live the story. That's the, one of the, the things that really gets to me is the way we read stories and we'll all nod and go, yeah, we heard the story and we move on. Don't do that. Go live in that story. Think about that story. The people alive at the time were not happy and were not triumphant. They were not marching through the streets. You killed Jesus, but he's coming back. They had not been to Bible school. They didn't know the story. This was going to be new. This was going to be exceptional. In fact, the Bible portrays them as being frightened, broken. They're hiding in a locked room, except, except for women who were brave enough to go through the streets and try to find out what was going on, and except for Thomas, who often people call Doubting Thomas. But please remember, Thomas wasn't there the first time they saw Jesus because he was the only one brave enough to leave the locked room to go get them food. And by the way, before you leave, it's only here today. There's an original piece of art back here, and you're allowed to turn around in church. You won't turn into a pillar of salt. I checked. Um, there's a picture that an artist portrays there of Jesus taking Thomas's hands to show him, it's me, here are the wounds. But somebody asked me, can we get prints of that? No, this is the only one in existence. Maybe eventually somebody will make prints of it, but this is it for now. Next week it goes to another church. We got it first. Yay! So, um, you know, I, there's a surprising lack of foam fingers in the air, number one, but we got it first and I'm quite happy. But Thomas was brave enough to leave the room. Some of the women were brave enough, but not many. They're away from that casual observation of others. They're hiding. They're, they don't know what's going on, but they're grieving. Now, we all grieve. We all grieve when death hits. Even if it's after a long illness, we saw it coming, we grieve. But I would suggest that their grief was even keener. It was even harsher than our grief because not only did a person die who was their friend, who was their brother, who was somebody they loved, but it was the death of their dreams, the death of their hopes, the whole plan, the whole movement, everything died when Jesus died. They're sitting there thinking, now what? 
we invested everything we had into this man, into this story, into this idea, and now it's, it's gone. Death has called into question everything. They would have been wondering if he was really the Christ. They would have been arguing about it. Perhaps he'd lied to them all along. I imagine the arguments would have been quite fierce. Others would have been planning their life after all of this. What do you do now? Now, some of them could go back to their ships and fish again. They didn't sell those things. They still had them. But what's Matthew going to do? Matthew left a good job collaborating with the Romans against his own people. And Jesus saved him. And now Jesus is gone. Where's Matthew going to go? And if there is no Jesus and is no story of Jesus, then that means whatever that he told them about loving Matthew goes away too. So it's not like they're going to give him a job on the ships. I wonder about Matthew. I wonder if some of them even blame themselves, saying, I imagine Jesus didn't save himself on the cross because he was so disappointed in us. Or, you know what humans are like. He liked me, but he's pretty disappointed in you. And so God just gave up on humanity. I imagine there were some fierce arguments there. Peter had once asked Jesus some time before, if we leave you, where do we go? Well, now that had become not, no longer a rhetorical question. It was reality. Faith. You know, it's not that hard for most of us. Some of you today may be struggling with your faith. This might be the first time you've come to a church. Or it may be that you only come on Easter or Christmas to be with your families. We won't ridicule you for that. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. And if you have questions, and if you really struggle with all of this, this is the safest place to bring them because God is not mad at you for having doubts and questions. God's okay with that. God is the one who said, come now, let us reason together. Let's work this out. He's happy with it. And anybody ever tells you, you're asking too many questions, you come here. Because we'll, we'll hear your questions. And we'll do our best to answer them. See, some of us struggle with our faith. Your struggles are welcome here. I've struggled. I'll struggle again. I'm not done. Many of us here go through that. But we know the story. And we wonder about our story. Something about the people hiding out on that Sunday morning is extraordinary to me because they're really where we are. We have these holidays here. We call them Good Friday, which always bothered me as a boy. Why is it good when he got killed on that day? I didn't understand because it started a story. Good Friday, and then we have Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning. But you know, most people live kind of on Saturday where they believe, but they're waiting they believe, but they, their eyes aren't, and their heart, it, it's, it's not quite there yet. That's why we believe that there is a Sunday morning, and it gives us hope. All have sinned, except Jesus. He's the exception. Everybody dies, except Jesus. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He broke the rules. He didn't just break a few rules. He broke them all. He broke the Roman governor's seal. He broke what we could expect. And he broke other exceptions and other expectations, I should say, as well, that, that are amazing 
when you really think about it. You know, there are absolutes in our reality, and I, I, I'm glad of that. I, I rely upon things like gravity so that when I get out of bed in the morning, I don't keep flying forward into the stratosphere. I'm, I'm, I like reality most of the time, but there are exceptions. There's a larger absolute out there than death. His name is God. In Revelation chapter 12, we won't read it today, it's highly symbolic language. There's a story of a dragon attacking a young pregnant woman. The language, although very symbolic, is very emphatic here. It is a representation of the devil fighting against our faith and against the, the one who brought it, Jesus. And it is emphatic also when it says, but that child will live and that child will reign. Whatever the world wants to throw at this, Jesus is the absolute. God's will will be done. He will rise. And if God wants to save us and to take us into his home as his children, it's going to happen. And I thank God that he is the enormous exception in history. Jesus had even told them that if his body, his temple, was torn down, he would raise it up again in three days. And he did. Now I want to ask you a question. What's it going to be like? What's he going to be like when we get him back? We wondered that about our son when he went into the Marine Corps. We wondered what's it going to be like when we get him back? You know, how's he going to change? Whenever you go through something like the, the, the poor folk of Brussels or Paris have recently, and they're not the only ones, they're just the ones we get the TV on. People, it's happening all the time in Nigeria and in Chad and in other countries that our media doesn't care that much about. But it's happening all the time. When you visit with somebody like this, how did the experience change them? Are they still going to like us? Are they still going to be able to, to sit and eat with us? Here, again, we find that Jesus was the absolute and enormous exception. When he came back, he hadn't changed. He still loved them. Even though they were doubting, afraid, arguing, and locked in a room, when he told them, don't do that, go to Galilee, they didn't, they didn't obey him. He didn't come in and say, what are you doing here? You idiots, I told you the story. He didn't do any of that. He loved them. He held nothing against them. Let me say that again. He had every right to, but he held nothing against them. Man cannot change the character of God even with nails and whips and doubts. You might not believe in God, but he believes in you, and you cannot make him stop believing in you. It is his character. Believing in you and loving you is not something God does. It is who he is. And as God, our behavior does not change him. And so when Jesus meets them, he speaks softly and gently with the men on the road to Emmaus who have given up. They're going home. We're done. He speaks softly and gently with them. He was kind, even a little bit funny 
to the people in the locked room. We don't get it because we don't get Semitic first century humor, but Jesus could be pretty funny sometimes. He was kind. He didn't talk to them about their fear. He showed amazing love and appreciation to the women who hadn't given up on him, or even if they had, who still loved him. He didn't change. Jesus is absolute. And he told us something very important. Very important. You don't have to be afraid. You don't. Go ahead. Unlock the door. Leave. Death is no longer a factor. God is not disappointed in you. God is not angry at what happened to Jesus. He is not going to envelop the world in flames. God is not for God of thunder. He will envelop the world, but it will be with love, hope, grace, justice, and peace. We had our grandsons for a couple of days this week, six and four years old. Took him to a movie. During part of the movie, a little scary bit, my six-year-old levitated. He looked over at me and he goes, did not scare you, Granda? I said, no, Granda doesn't get scared. And so the rest of the two days, it was, he would hide around corners. Rah! And, I, <laughs> and I just look at him. He said, you didn't jump. I said, grandas don't get scared. And he said, how do you not get scared? I said, son, we're not scared of things. Things are scared of grandas. <laughs> I learned years ago, if you are a Christian, listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. Fear is no longer an option. We're not afraid. What's the world going to do to us? Send us to Jesus? Oh. <laughs> Therefore, we can speak with boldness and we can love the unlovable. We can serve the nasty and mean. We can be kind to those that throw rocks at us. Why? Because we're not afraid anymore. We know our Redeemer lives, and He has come for us. Is death an absolute? No, I'm sorry, not really, not anymore. Ignore the first five minutes of this lesson. The only absolute is God, and that God is who God says He is, and He will bring life where there was once only death. The story will not end with a body on a cold shelf in a cave. Not for Him, and not for you. We are made of better stuff than that. Jesus has changed everything. You know something, we're, we're, we're wise people, we're smart people. I like people, sometimes over there, but I like people. If we hear of traffic jams, we make adjustments. We hear of weather reports, we make adjustments. Well, then shouldn't we hear this story and make adjustments? change the way we do things, make some changes in our priorities, our plans, the way we deal with people, our schedule, our lives, our money, our goods, our homes, whatever. We should change things because the story changes things. I can remember before, right before the wedding where I married my, my girl, Cammie, years and years ago. They wanted, uh, the photographer wanted to come in and do some, 
some set up funny shots of me being worried and like, and I wouldn't do it. I, I've never played well with others. I know it's quite the shock. Um, so you know, I'm supposed to look at my watch and be going, oh, you know, no. And he looked at me and he goes, no, you're supposed to because this is going to change everything. And I looked at him and I said, it's supposed to. That's, I'm counting on that. Life before now was miserable, no cami. Now, cami. I'm making adjustments. And I'm happy to do it. With Jesus, we make adjustments. We change everything. We're now somebody different. So together today, we're in a big room. And we're waiting for Jesus. But we know something in our room that they did not know in that first room. And that is, when he comes for us, he will be the same loving, gentle, kind Jesus we see in the Gospels. And he will make us an exception. Death will no longer be permanent or even really all that important in the scheme of things. We're bigger than this life. We're worth more to him than this world. He is love. And he will be love when you meet him. He will be love when you meet him. Knowing this, we adjust our behavior. We adjust all of it. We act like Jesus because we want to look like Jesus because this is really good news. That's why we call the, the books the gospels. The word means the good news. It's good news. And I'm sorry if you're new to Christianity or if you're just visiting Christianity today, I'm really sorry for what Christians have done to this good news. They have turned it into a mean, hateful, sectarian thing where they have attacked you and I'm sorry. There is sin, and we don't want to sin, and there is righteousness, and we want to live righteously, but we can do that in love and grace, and we can treat you with honor and dignity, and this church will. That's a promise, because we have been baptized into Christ. If you don't know what that means, it's a ritual done with water. It's actually back here behind the curtains. There's a, there's a, a pool of water. When somebody wants to follow Jesus, we, say, we ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And if they do, we'll ask them, have you repented of your sins? We don't list the sins, and we don't ask you to tell us what they were. We just want to know, are you sorry that you've sinned? If you say yes, then we'll even have you just say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then we go into the water here. And then we lower you down and back up. It, according to the Bible, it's supposed to be a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, a lot of people have no problem with the believing bit or even with the repenting bit or even saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, but they fight about the water because to go into the water, you're all in. Yeah, you got to be all in. It's kind of like jumping out of an airplane. I've never done it. I've thought about it. But once you step out of it, you're all in. But the baptized believers here have resident in their hearts the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are now part of his story, and we want to shine with the love of God towards you. But to help all of us understand that where there is death, Jesus brings life, we're going to go through communion today. We do every Sunday, and, and I'd say once or twice a month, we even come to tables. There'll be tables up above on both sides 
There are three tables here. There are tables along the back. And we're going to explain the way all of this works. First of all, let's explain the tables. We invite all to come forward. Not just those that are members here and have been forever. All. When we take the bread, what we are saying, and you just take a little bit of the, the tasteless cracker that's here. You take a little bit of it. We remember the body of Christ given for us. We take the cup, which is a little thing of grape juice, and remember the blood that he gave for us. Not to feel guilty, but to feel thrilled that Almighty God was loved to us even on that day. And then we're going to do something else. We've stayed away from our tables for the last month or so. The reason we wanted to mourn a bit this story, the story of, of, of Easter and the story of Lent. But now we celebrate. Now some of you come, by the way, from traditions where communion is done with a huge amount of quiet and weight and um, reverence. We love that. But that's not what's going to happen today. This is the family table of God, and this is going to be noisy. Your children are invited to take, if that's all right with you. We don't ever trump you. But we're also doing something else. You see these ugly crosses. We love kids. We love their stuff, too. I love it when toys come down. That's not a signal, kids. That's not a signal. But I, I do love that. These crosses, this is not chicken wire. It won't cut you. It just, it looks that way. We made them ugly on purpose. But there are flowers here if you did not bring flowers. What we ask is before or after you take from the tables that you weave a flower. You're allowed to take pictures. This is not holy ground. People are holy. Places are not. But you might want to wait because after they're all filled... We take these crosses out front and set them where everybody can see them as a testimony of saying, he turned ugliness into beauty, death into life, and we here are part of that story. Let your children learn today. Remind yourself of the story today. Do me another favor. The people up top have to come down to these crosses too. We, we thought about making a whole bunch of them, but then we thought, no, one Sunday a year, we can bump into each other. But once you've woven in and once you've had the communion, try to clear the traffic lanes to let the next person in. This is going to take a while. But after most people have hit there and gotten there, uh, Mark is going to bring the praise team back up. There will be two songs, and then we'll be dismissed to love on each other and tell the story. Would you stand with me, please? We will have one prayer and then be welcome to the tables. Our Father in heaven, we believe this story. Even with all of our doubts and struggles sometimes, even in the dark days, we know that you are the amazing, enormous exception in history. We thank you that when Jesus came back, it was not with anger, not with, with vengeance upon those that hurt him, but rather with love and grace and humor and acceptance. May we all be part of that story. As we take this bread, we thank you for Jesus, the Son of God. As we take this cup, we thank you for the blood he gave for us. 
And we thank you that now that he is risen, we are one people, one family before one God. And in the name of Jesus, the whole church says, Amen. Come to the tables.